Welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast, where our goal is to explore biblical worldview and servant leadership to equip you for everyday influence. Here's your host, author and director of cultural engagement, Jonathan Morrow. Well, welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast. How should we think about science and how you know things and how faith and Christianity and all of that fit together? Well, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today with my guest, Dr. J.P. Moreland. And J.P. Moreland is the Distinguished Professor of Philosophy at Biola University. He has authored, edited, or contributed to over 90 books, including The Soul, How We Know It's Real and Why It Matters, and also Theistic Evolution, a Scientific, Philosophical, and Theological Critique, and honestly, so many other important books. In fact, the one probably most meaningful to me still is Love Your God With All Your Mind. Uh, That's the one that had the biggest impact on me. And JP, that's one of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing is because you wrote that work, and then I came to, to study with you there at Biola and Talbot and... So you have just had a great impact on my life. You've done tons of scholarship, and our audience needs to know about you and the important work that you've written, especially the book we're going to talk about today, which is called Scientism and Secularism, Learning to Respond to a Dangerous Ideology. So welcome to the podcast. Well, Jonathan, it's such a privilege to be with you again. I have such warm and fond memories of our friendship over the years, and uh, thank you for that kind introduction, <laughs> and I, I'm just excited to be with you. Well, thank you. Well, you know what, let's, let's start kind of at the beginning. Why did you feel kind of at a big picture level, and then we'll dive into some of the particulars, why was it important to kind of write this book now? Because some people may not think yes. that this is a, a front burner kind of issue, but it is, and so kind of share a little about why it is that you wrote this book. Well, uh, at the beginning of the book, I quote Dallas Willard, who is a pretty well-known person, uh, who made the following statement. The idea that knowledge, and of course reality, is limited to the world of the natural sciences is the single most destructive idea on the stage of life today. Now, that's pretty shocking. And what he is saying is that scientism, which I'll define in a minute, is the single most destructive idea on the stage of life in the contemporary world. It's more, it is more destructive than, than the neo-Marxist constructivism that we're seeing. And the reason is because it is the fundamental idea that is driving the moral and religious chaos and confusion in society. Yeah, and so that's underneath everything that's going on, right? It's being assumed in all these yes. conversations, all the background. Right. And so even answers to important questions are being filtered through that, right? Absolutely, Jonathan. And people may have never heard the name, but scientism is in the drinking water. I mean, it is everywhere, and it's, it is so pervasive that it's now accepted by people kind of at a subconscious level, even though they may not know how to define the term, they've been impacted by it. Absolutely. So, well, let's do that. Why don't you go ahead and define scientism for us and maybe share about how that's different from science, because maybe people hear the term, well, isn't that sure. the same thing as science? A very good question. Well, uh, science is the sort of thing that you would do in a chemistry lab or in a geology where you're trying to look at rock formations and in a biology uh, laboratory. But scientism 
is actually a philosophical view. And it says the following, that the only way or the vastly superior way to know reality is through the hard sciences. So if you can prove something in physics or chemistry or neuroscience, then you can know it. If you can't, then any claim you make, whether it's in religion or politics or ethics or any other field, is nothing but private opinion. It is utterly unknowable. It's basically, as one person told me, nothing but hot air. I ran into a PhD in science who said that, yeah, I used to be interested in theology and philosophy when I was a teenager, but now that I've matured intellectually and grown up, I realize that if you can't prove it and test it empirically with observations in the laboratory, it's nothing but a bunch of hot air and idle opinion. And if you've ever talked to somebody about Christ, and they've said, well, can you, you can't prove that scientifically. Well, they're assuming that if you can't prove it scientifically, you can't know it. Well, goodness gracious, I mean, what about historical evidence for the reliability of the New Testament? I can't prove that scientifically in the physics lab, but we have all kinds of reasons to believe that the New Testament documents are reliable and Jesus rose from the dead. So I can demonstrate that historically, but that doesn't count because it's not provable in the hard sciences, and that's what scientism is only allows to be acceptable. No, that's that's a really important observation. So sometimes it's helpful to understand, you know, where we're at currently to think about how we got here. So maybe where and how did scientism really start to gain headway in American culture? Kind of how did that all happen? It really happened from the 1880s to the 19 uh, to 1930, and I can't go into detail on it. But the bottom line is that because of World War One, there was a tremendous need for technology, and so in the universities, they shifted from being Christian colleges with theology at the center, and every branch of study was viewed as a source of knowledge of reality. There wasn't just one way of knowing things. Until by the late 1920s, science had become really the only way to know reality, and values and religion were put in a blind faith area of life. And so as this spread, it hit in the 1960s. It really took time for this to flower, but then the rest is history. In ethics, you're not supposed to, you know, be intolerant and claim that your views are the only way. But, you know, if a chemistry professor says that's hydrochloric acid in that beaker, nobody says, hey, dude, don't legislate your chemistry on me. <laughs> uh, that's because, we, you know, we can know these things. But if you claim that God is real, whoever she is, you know, that's your private feeling, and, and nobody knows, and you don't know that you're right either. Well, knowledge gives people the authority to act and to speak in public and to define reality. For example, we give a dentist the authority to define that area of reality called teeth. He can tell us how they function, what's bad for them, 
He can speak anywhere in the public that he wants to, and we will listen to the dentist, and he can put his hands in our mouths. He can do things that other people can't do. Why? Because we assume that he has the relevant knowledge to back up his right to speak and act. My dentist came up to me and said, you know, before he worked on me, you know, JP, I don't know a thing about molars, but I got to tell you, I've got a bunch of very deeply held personal feelings about them. (laughs) And I care about these so much that I've hired a musician and I have a little CD that he's cut for me with music about dentistry. And I play it every morning on my way to the office and it pumps me up. Oh, I just have such personal (laughs) convictions about molars. Well, that dude's not getting within a mile of, of my teeth. And do you see, Jonathan, what will happen if scientism is allowed to go unchallenged. It will marginalize Christianity, and it will cause us to lose our children when they go to high school or college. And in a recent Barna poll, they discovered that the reason that millennials are leaving the church and Christianity, the six reasons they gave were all, believe this or not, intellectual. I can't express doubts at church or I'm shunned. When I do ask a question, nobody has a good answer. The teaching's shallow and people don't tell me how to interact with science regarding my Christian beliefs. And so we're losing kids because knowledge matters so much. And if we can convince people that Christians don't have any knowledge about what they're saying, they just believe it by blind faith, then you can dismiss Christians, you don't have to listen to them, and you can marginalize them. No, that's so important, and it's one of the reasons, you know, in our audience, if you don't know this, JP comes and teaches in our fellows experience for our nine-month gap year for Christian high school graduates, and so we talk about this kind of stuff, and we help Oh, absolutely. And think through these things and try to unpack and slow down some of these ideologies that they're kind of being hit with every single day. And so it's so critical. But, but JP, you know, some people might hear the term secular. Can you define that? Like, what is secularism before we kind of move on? Such, a, you guys, such good questions you're asking. As I'm defining secular, I mean that whether, whether there's a God or not, belief in God has absolutely nothing to do with daily life or moral decisions or political ideas. And so we build our public lives on a completely atheistic or secular foundation with no reference to God whatsoever. If you want to believe in God in your little private compartment of your life, you can do anything you want, but don't force it or go public with it because religion is just really like the tooth fairy, to be honest. That's kind of secularism. No, that, that's really helpful, I think, for people to understand and grasp how those two ideas, that scientism and secularism, really go hand in hand in that regard. Yes, and scientism is what gave rise to secularism. Now think about it. If you can only know things that are provable in physics and chemistry and so on, all the things that matter to us, Uh, Is there a purpose to life? And if so, why? Does God exist? Do I have a soul? Is there life after death? 
What should the state be like? Should there be a big state or a minimal state? None of these questions and moral questions. I mean, are there two genders? <laughs> I mean, these things are not testable scientifically in terms of their moral aspects. And so that leaves us with postmodern relativism in areas outside the hard sciences, because you can't all you can do is construct your own reality and your own truth. Yeah, and, and, and what happens when your view of reality and truth bumps into my reality and truth, <laughs> right? Well, you've got conflict, don't you? <laughs> yeah, and, then, and then the loudest voices tend to win, or people who use power. Yep. You know, yeah, might makes right. Yeah, and so truth is not so much the issue for some people anymore. It's really about power. It's like, okay, how do we— Absolutely. How do we control the narrative? And that's that's a big thing what we're seeing today, I think, in our culture. I think you're absolutely right. You know, so as we think about this, you know, how should the church kind of respond to this? Like, what what should the church's role be in this kind of fight against kind of scientism and secularism? Not in terms of the us versus them, because these people, I think, are deceived and they're made in the image of God and worthy of dignity and respect. But what should that look like? Well, I've learned that people are less defensive and more calm and winsome when they feel secure about what they know. If they know what they're talking about, they feel good. And so pastors have got to stop just preaching messages that apply to my own personal spiritual life or my growth or my family. Those are important, but every now and then they need to preach a series on the cultural issues of our day that are contrary to Christianity and how to respond. What, what do we do with these ideas? What do we say? How do we respond? So we have to equip people to live thoughtfully and intelligently in a culture that no longer holds to a Christian worldview so that people will be non-defensive and winsome. I think Christian school teachers and pastors and youth leaders and parents need to get the book Scientism and Secularism and read it and master it, because in there I explain what scientism is, why it matters, and what to say in response to it. And the book will equip people how to raise awareness in the church about this ideology that people confront all the time but might not recognize it, and what to say about it. I think ministries like Impact 360 and like your ministry, these are becoming extremely crucial because we cannot just release our kids to college from high school and expect them to be okay, even a lot of Christian colleges. And they need some time to get their heads together and get inoculated against the nonsense they're going to be taught. So I think centers like Impact, and there are some other things around the country, these need to be encouraged, they need to be supported, and given a voice in the local church. No, I think that's completely accurate. You know, we, it's an all-in. Everybody needs to take a part do. in this, especially because there's always a next generation coming. That's why we're so passionate about equipping them to really follow Jesus well for a lifetime. Absolutely. And so, you know, talk about, I mean, there's so many different directions we could take this, but let's say scientism. How has that kind of maybe really allowed for this idea of tolerance to kind of flourish in this culture, and why is that such a flawed approach, and how do those relate? 
Very, very good. Well, tolerance used to mean that I believe, and maybe even know you're wrong, and you believe or think you know I'm wrong, but I am going to tolerate you in two senses. The first is, I will respect your right to defend and, and proclaim your views in public. You have that right. And secondly, I'm not going to treat you in a non-human way. I'm not going to burn your house down if you're a pro-abortionist or a Muslim or do anything like that. But you need to know that I do not agree with what you're saying. Now today, tolerance is now the idea that it is wrong for you to tell someone else that their view is wrong. You can't tell people that what they're doing or claiming is wrong or you're intolerant. Now that sounds crazy, but the only way that you could actually support that notion would be if nobody in the area we're discussing had a clue about who was right about it, then I would agree that we should be tolerant and not judge that other people are wrong since I don't know I'm right, neither do you. So the contemporary idea that we shouldn't it's intolerant to tell other people they're wrong, is actually supported by scientism because scientism implies that in these areas where we differ and we have different moral and religious values, nobody has a clue as to who's right and who's wrong. And if that's the case, then the only thing you can do is bully people, and you don't want to do that, so you need to be tolerant. I want to recapture the idea that knowledge can be gained in every area of life. There is knowledge that there's a God. There's knowledge of aesthetic beauty and art. You can have historical knowledge. You can have knowledge in literature between a good piece of literature and a bad one. There's moral knowledge. And the hard sciences are not the only way that we can know reality, and I thank God for them, they're a way, but they're not the only way. And that's what the church has got to reassert into the public square so that our gospel will be taken seriously by people. Yeah, because at the root of it is that idea of a plausibility structure, what people could find reasonable or even something that they would even want to believe. And if there's no structure yes. for even moral or spiritual questions being having a seat at the table, then then that's going to be problematic if you're trying to preach the gospel, right? Or share your faith with people or tell them that Jesus well, died yeah. and, and for you, right? Well, it's a flat earth. I mean, you know, nobody's going to come to a lecture on defending that the earth is flat, and nobody's going to come to a lecture defending the idea that there's that we can really know who God is and that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, and he actually died for our sins and rose from the dead. People are going to think, well, whoop-de-doo. I mean, I'm glad you've got your little story. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's about the equivalent of a flat earth story. And Christians just cannot keep doing what they've been doing, Jonathan, and I know you've been hammering on this for decades, but they've retreated to a blind faith position, and that's the cure that killed the patient, because if we retreat to the idea that faith is the blind choice to believe something, whereas it used to be confidence or trust based on what I know, 
then we're just digging our own grave. Right. We're going to remove the ability to engage, and that's what we are called to do. I think that's so helpful. Now, there's so much good stuff in this book, Scientism and Secularism. I'm talking right now to Dr. J.P. Moreland about his brand new book and, and just this important idea. But I do want to give people a little bit of how do you engage this question? Because one of the things that you talk about is that scientism is self-refuting. Can you just say just a yes. little bit about that? Yes, I can. If something is self-refuting, then it makes itself false. So the statement, no sentence of English is longer than three words, is self-refuting because that very statement makes itself false. Well, the statement that the only way we can know reality is through the methods of the hard sciences cannot itself be known through the methods of the hard sciences. And if someone claims that this is the only way to have knowledge and truth, then that claim is self-refuting because you can't test it in the physics or chemistry lab. When I met this gentleman who said to me, you know, when I was a teenager, I used to believe in theology and philosophy, but now I only believe in physics and chemistry. I let him go for about two or three minutes, and he made 20 or 30 assertions, Jonathan, and I stopped him and I said, you know, You've made 20 or 30 assertions in the last few minutes, and I can't think of a single one that could be tested and quantified in the laboratory. Tell me which one you made that could be, if I'm mistaken. But you see, if I'm right about that, then what you've been doing for the last two or three minutes is nothing but spouting hot air and private opinion, because his view was self-refuting. Well, he had never been told that, and he literally changed the subject after turning white. <laughs> and that's, I'm tell, that's the God's truth. I really mean that. That actually happened. But it's self-refuting to say there are no truths or I don't exist, and it's self-refuting to say the only way we can have truth and knowledge of reality are through the hard sciences, because that statement itself cannot be true or verified through the hard sciences. Now, that's such a good story, and that's a great way to illustrate how sometimes, you know, this dominant slogan and soundbite culture that we inhabit right now, we just need to lovingly help people come face-to-face -face with the bankruptcy of some of those slogans and go, yes. hey, you know what, that just doesn't work. <laughs> it's like when you say it out yep. loud, like, Amen. that doesn't sound good. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's kind of the point. But then if people have this idea, <laughs> if they say it loud enough or often enough, it must be true. We got to help people yes. know that's not the way this works. Good, good for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so obviously lots of other good stuff. And it's important for people as they're listening to this conversation. Sometimes people think, well, look, we're bashing science. We're not bashing science, right? Science no, is no. The, is the rational investigation of the physical world. That's a good thing. So pull apart oh, that distinction yes, briefly just to make sure because it's not, hey, Christians, you know, oh, those, those scientists again. That's not what we're doing, right? No. In fact, it's widely known that science was born in a Christian Protestant Europe, and that's because the assumptions of science, that there is an orderly, knowable world, and that, that our minds were designed to be able to know that world, and that there is such a thing as truth and so on, were all assumptions that made tremendous sense in a theistic worldview, because if there is a rational God who made the world, then it would be rationally knowable, and he would have put us here in Noah's world, at least in part. And so Christians have always been leaders in science. 
And I'm proud of that. And we love, we thank God for medicine and all kinds of air conditioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, <laughs> but, but scientism, no, that is way out of bounds. But science, we need more Christians to go into science and to become leaders in those areas. No, that's that's a good word, and I think a really really helpful clarification, just to make sure we're not miscommunicating what we're actually talking about, what we need to engage in, and kind of undermine. You know, sometimes yes. you know when people read articles in Scientific American or the New York Times or Time Magazine or something, they'll kind of come across these phrases like, "Well, science says," <laughs> and science right. has proven. You talk about this in the in, towards the end of your book, you know, in this kind of integration of Christianity and science chapter. But you you talk about kind of the importance and when it's rational to kind of go against the experts, kind of so to speak. Or talk about yeah. what does that look like? Because I think people can get intimidated. Like, well, if this is settled science, right. then I guess we need to accept it, right? So talk just a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, science really doesn't say anything. Scientists do. And often there's more division among the scientists than they let on. But suppose that the majority of scientists believe, let's say, in Darwinian, neo-Darwinian evolution. Is it reasonable to go against the majority? Well, I say yes if the following criteria are met. Number one, if we are sure the scriptures teach something contrary to that, then we just hold the fort with the hope and trust that evidence will eventually come in and support what we believe. Number two, if you can explain why the scientists are in such widespread agreement is based on something other than evidence and facts, then you can disregard the fact that they all are saying that this is true. For example, when it comes to evolution, it's very clear that the agreement among scientists was due to wanting to get theology out of science so that science would make absolutely no appeal to anything God had done. And it was also a sociological fact about the scientific community and the way they socialize new students into their community and forbid them to do research on intelligent design and things like that. So their agreement is not based on that they've got the facts right. It's based upon a theological concern and and the sociology of the scientific community. So that's the second criterion. And then finally, if there is a group of highly intelligent, well-educated, and qualified rebels Thomas Kuhn called them rebel groups that stand against the the major view, but they are publishing in good publishers, their stuff is top level, then you have a right to follow this group because the majority has already been discredited because we can explain their homogeneity by sociology and and theology, and we have a robust group of people that aren't dummies, and uh, they know the facts, and we can go with that informed minority. And I think that's why it makes sense for us not to believe in evolution, even though uh, the neo-Darwin view, even though most scientists do. No, I think that's a that's a fascinating and very helpful set of criteria that helps us then have courage 
to explore and, and, and know where the actual yep. tensions are. Okay, well, yep, maybe we just absolutely. need further information. You know, I mean, for example, archaeology is a relatively recent yeah. science, a couple hundred years, right? I mean, there's a lot of great stuff we've yes. discovered, but there's a lot of stuff we haven't. Oh, yeah. Yet. <laughs> and so. Oh, man, you bet. And it's going to be good stuff. I can tell you that right now. Absolutely. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. So no, there's so many fascinating things we could talk about. My conversation today is with Dr. J.P. Moreland. The book is Scientism and Secularism, Learning to Respond to a Dangerous Ideology. And if you're listening to this and you're running around the neighborhood or you're on the treadmill or commuting into work, I hope what you're hearing is that there are good reasons to understand how faith and science work together, but we must be very careful about adopting this idea that's everywhere around us, that science, the hard sciences, are the only things that can give us knowledge about reality, because that'll yes. end up undermining our Christian faith. And so those are yes. kind of things that we talk about here at Impact 360 all the time. We have Dr. Moreland come in and speak to our students. We talk about this stuff in our summer experiences. So if you're a parent and we can ally and, and partner with you in equipping your kids and your teenagers in these areas, we'd love to do that at impact360.org. But JP, I just want to tell you just publicly, just a big thank you for your investment for the kingdom, for everybody else, but also most importantly for me, because I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing without you and your investment in my own life and the work that you've done. And I just want to thank you for all that you've done. Well, you're welcome. And I'm so proud of what you're doing. So back at you, my friend. All right. Well, again, the book is <laughs> Scientism and Secularism. We'll have a link to it in the show notes and we'll uh, see you next time on the Impact 360 Institute podcast. For more information about our on-campus worldview and leadership experiences for students and our accessible online courses like Explore Truth and Explore the Resurrection, visit impact360.org. Impact 360 Institute. Know. Be. Live. Live.